0: Well, good evening, everybody. We're glad that you've chosen to join us this evening as we start our first three-circle midweek. This is a chance for us to reconnect in the middle of a week. Uh, Hopefully, you've gotten a chance to kind of settle in uh, during worship and now for teaching. Again, we're jumping back into our series on Revelation. Last time we met as a group at our campuses, uh, we looked at the Church of Thyatira and what that meant for us. If you are coming in late and you haven't been in on the series, I encourage you, go back. They should all be online. You can fast-forward. You can watch the other ones. Uh, and catch up with where we're at. But tonight, we're going to be on the church at Sardis. We're going to look at what it means for us as believers, what it means for us as a church today, and what Christ was saying to the church in that context. Uh, I want to start with a question. The question is this. How many of you have ever been somewhere, and as soon as you pulled up to the business, or as soon as you walked in, it could even be a church, you just knew something wasn't right? right? You, you walked in, and there wasn't anything, there wasn't any uh, activity going on. There wasn't any energy in the room. It was just kind of flat, And often when we go in these kind of situations or we go into this kind of uh, atmosphere, what's the first thing that we say? Right, you might look at your spouse or your friend and go, man, this place is what? This place is dead. I recently had to take a trip over to Gulf Shores, right on the front end of this COVID-19 stuff. It was a day or two after they had closed the beaches, uh, and I had to go over there and do something. And so I, I rode over there, I actually left the house early because I assumed uh, that there would still be spring break stuff going on. Even though they shut down the beaches, I thought, man, there'll still be foot traffic, there'll still be people there visiting, uh, that kind of stuff. So I left about 15 minutes early to give myself time uh, to get to the venue I had to be at. And when I crossed over the canal going into Gulf Shores, as soon as I pulled in, you could just tell something wasn't right. And obviously I knew what it was, but, man, there was no traffic on the road, there was no activity on the side of the streets and the sidewalk and the businesses, and it was just different than I'd ever seen it before, even being in spring break. And so the first thing that I did was I I crossed the bridge and rode in. I think I passed three cars on the way in. And I called my wife and I said, you won't believe the atmosphere over here at the beach. I've never seen it like this. Even in the slow times, I've never seen it like this. And I said, you wouldn't believe how dead it is, right? We've all been in those situations. We've also been on the other side of things when we walk into an environment or we walk into a church or a business and we go, man, this place has got life. This place has got activity. There's a lot of energy in here. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's there's relationships happening. There's people talking. There's good things happening here. That means this place must be alive. But what we're going to look at today as we look at the church of Sardis is that Christ sees just the opposite many times. That when we as humans look on the outward appearance of something, Christ is looking past the facade into the heart of things, and he goes, wait a minute. What you're putting up isn't accurate. What you're portraying isn't true. And that's exactly what he says to the church of Sardis that we're going to look at today. A little context to the church at Sardis. Uh, Sardis was a very wealthy city. It was one of the wealthiest cities uh, in the area. It was, at one point, the capital of the kingdom of Lydia. It was one of the most beautiful c- cities in the ancient world, is what historians say. And they had a vast amount of wealth. So Lydia was a, or, uh, Sardis was a city with a vast amount of wealth. They sat on a gold treasure they could pull from. This made their... Uh, citizens extremely wealthy as well. Not only were they extremely wealthy, but part of that was because they sat on a river, and the rumor has it what historians say is that this river often deposited gold dust on the shores. I kind of imagine it like out west during the gold rush when people were paying for gold, and they'd get just a little bit of gold dust, right? Well, that's what Sardis was like. They were extremely wealthy, but not only were they wealthy, but they were also well-educated. We know that in most contexts that when wealth gives you access to education. And so Sardis wasn't only a wealthy place, but it was a well-educated place, right? And this wasn't across the board. There's different socioeconomic things going on back then as it is today. But for the most part, it was a well-educated place. It was a wealthy place. And it was also a beautiful place. Sardis was a city of extreme beauty. They had temples to all these gods. And you can still go there today and see the massive pillars for these temples and the beauty that must have been the Roman Empire, when they were taken over by Rome, the Roman Empire would give awards to the city every year that built the most beautiful temple to whatever god it was. And so Sardis was one of these cities that was in the Roman Empire that would, I guess, compete in a way for this uh, award. And Sardis won it not only once, but three times. So that tells you that speaks to a little bit of the extreme beauty of the city of Sardis. They were wealthy, they were well educated, it was a beautiful city, but not only those three things, but it was also a very safe city. Sardis, if you look at pictures of Sardis and where it's located, it's located in a valley like most typical uh, cities are that are next to a river. It's in a valley. And in this valley, it sits on top of a hill. So Sardis was extremely safe because it was hard to attack. And they could see people coming from a long way off. But not only did they have a vantage point, but they also were a walled city. They were well fortified. So they had an outer wall, and within the outer wall was an inner wall like many of the ancient city had. So even when they were attacked if somebody got within the inner wall, they still had to get in, or if they got inside of the outer wall, they still had to get in the inner wall to actually take over, which made Sardis an extremely safe city It was only conquered twice in its long history. And both of those times were flukes. And so you can just imagine the way that the citizens felt in the city that was extremely wealthy, they were well educated, it was a beautiful place to live, and it was safe. It's just like you and I today that when we right, when we have our Dave Ramsey security fund, our safety net set aside, and we feel good about things, right, we've paid off our debt, we've done all these things that are good things, and we're, we're financially stable, our kids are healthy, we live in a safe culture, we live in a safe part of town, or the United States as a whole is a fairly safe place, and we feel like, man, we've got this. And the safer we feel, the more money that we have, and the more, more secure we are, the easier it is to drift away from God, and that's exactly what had happened in the church at Sardis, It happened as a culture as a whole for them, but it also happened within the church because it so slowly seeped in. And in the city and in the church of Sardis, their wealth, wisdom, and walls made them feel like they were invincible and they could take care of themselves. And slowly but surely, as they felt like, man, we can handle this on our own, they were lulled to sleep as they slowly got away from God and said, you know what, we can handle this. To the point to where in Scripture, they're known as the sleeping church or the dead church. Because they'd gotten so far away from the things of God and gotten so far away from following His lead and so dependent on themselves that they had slowly been lulled to sleep. And that's what we're going to look at today. So, if you'll look with me in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is where we'll be. It says this And to the angel of the church at Sardis, write, The words of Him who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and, and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you, have re- what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come. Yet you still have a few in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity tonight to come and just study your Word through worship and through teaching. Father, we pray that you prick our hearts tonight, that you convict us of our sin, that you convict us where we strayed away from you and that you lead us back gently to yourself. God, show us what you would have us learn tonight. Walk us through this scripture. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, as we talked about over the last several weeks, as we've walked through the seven churches of the book of Revelation, each one has a unique intro that Christ gives them. And in this particular instance, this is how Christ introduces himself as John is writing this. He says, the words of him who has the seven spirits Of God and the seven stars. So, this represents the completeness and omnipotence of God. The completeness and omnipotence of God. He holds everything in His hand, right? If you look at the church at Ephesus, the first letter, it says that He's walking between the lampstands, right? What Christ is doing here is He's reminding the church at Sardis that He's in control. He's reminding the church at Sardis of who He is. He's reminding the church at Sardis that He sees all, that He knows all that he's been watching their works, that he's aware of the situation at the church at Sardis, that he is omnipotent and his completeness is what this represents. But then he breaks it down a little further, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this today. You can go dive more into it when you have time, and I encourage you to do so. But it says the seven spirits of God. He holds the seven spirits of God, and these represent the fullness of the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, the seven stars, which represent the seven angels or messengers to the church. The seven angels or messengers of the church. So what we see here is, again, Christ introducing himself, saying, hey, look, I'm omnipotent. I know all. I hold all things in my hand. Reflecting back, similar to what he said at the church of Ephesus, I walk between my churches. I walk around. I know what's going on. He's setting the stage for what he's about to say. So after his introduction, he moves a little further and he says this, I know your works. So he reminds them who he is, and then he says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. So your first blank is this. Outward activity does not guarantee internal vitality or life. Outward activity does not guarantee internal vitality or life. And this goes back to what we've talked about before, that Christ doesn't look at the facade that we put up. Christ doesn't look at our outward actions only, but what he looks at is the heart of the matter. He looks at the heart of who we are. But we as humans can only look on the outside, right? Like I, When I look at people around me, when I look at people and say, man, I don't, are they believers or not? When you ask them questions, you go, man, I'm just trying to get a feel for if you're a true believer or not. The only thing that we as humans can go on is what they tell us and on their outward actions. And we know that if we're true believers, that the fruits of the Spirit are going to be there. Right? Faith, love, service, patience. All these things are going to come out. But the difference between somebody who truly believes in Christ and walks with Him daily is that the fruits of the Spirit, peace, love, patience, faithfulness, all those things come from what God's doing inside of us first, and they flow out of us. See, if we're not a true believer, but we're trying to do all the right things where we think, man, our outward activity is going to make people think I have inward life, eventually we're going to run out of steam. Eventually we're just going to run out of the energy to continue to build the facade that we have. Right, and we see this. We see this through scripture that Christ continues to look at the heart of the matter. 1 Samuel 16 7 is when Samuel was sent to find the next king that would follow Saul up in the Old Testament. And so God goes to Samuel, he sends him to the house of Jesse to go find his king. They have a dialogue because Samuel's worried Saul's going to kill him if he finds out he's going to the house of Jesse. And so they, they come up with this dialogue. So Samuel ends up going to the house of Jesse. And he called, he says, Jesse, I need you to bring your sons out. I, he says, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for the next king. He doesn't say it verbatim. I'm just doing a short story here. And so Jesse goes and gets all, all of his sons, except for one, and that was David. But he passes all of his sons before Samuel. And you can almost hear Samuel standing there going, this has got to be him. This has got to be him, right? He's, he's tall. He's good looking. He's made a 32 on his ACT, right? He made the right scores on the Enneagrams. He's answered all my questions correctly. He's got the look of a king. Man, this has got to be him. And we see a conversation that God has with Saul, I mean uh, Samuel, and he says this in 1 Samuel 16:7. He says, the Lord says to Samuel. So this is when Samuel's trying to figure out who's going to be the next king, and he's, all Samuel has, just like the rest of us to look at, is the outward appearance, and he keeps God keeps saying, that's not him. That's not him. And so in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. So God says, look, don't look on the outside appearance. Don't look at what you think he looks like. Don't look at what you think a king looks like in your mind. Don't don't judge him by the way that you can, but listen to me. And this is what the Lord says. He says, For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. See, Samuel was just like you and I. He only had one way to look, and that was on the outward appearance of people and what they told him. And Christ goes, our God goes, don't look at the outward appearance, but look at the heart. And God does the same thing for churches. right? Sardis, when he says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead, Sardis would have been a church that people wanted to be a part of. Sardis would have been a church in the town of Sardis that other churches wanted to be like. Sardis would have been that church that that said, man, that, that church has got it going on. That church has got all the right programs, all the right systems, all the right this and all the right that. That's who we want to be like. And Christ comes onto the scene and he says, you've got a reputation for being alive. You've got outward activity that looks like life. But internally, you are dead and we see that at the church of Sardis. They have a reputation for being alive but Christ even says they have half-done works. So Christ says even the things you're doing in my name, even the things you think you're doing right are only half done. They're not even complete. You're so dead that you can't even complete the works that you're trying to do. The things that people are congratulating you about and go, "Man, that's awesome that you did that. Man, I see where you're moving. I see what you're doing." And Christ goes, "Man, those are only half done. But you're dead. And I'll ask you this today, because when we look at the church, and we look at this letter to the church at Sardis, and when we boil the church down, right, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, and when we look at the church, we see a bunch of individuals, believers, who are the bride of Christ, and we are the bride of Christ that make up the church. And so when we boil this thing down, and we can look at each other, and we can say, do you have a reputation for being alive, or are you truly alive? Do you have a reputation of being alive? But at the end of the day, you were internally just feel like you're dead or dying. Right? If you were to ask a hundred people around you, what do you think about Nick Williams? And they would go, oh man, that guy's alive. He's active in the church. He's volunteering there. He gives up his time, his money, his resources. Man, he does all the right things. He's got to be alive. And there was a time in my life when people would say that about me, but that wasn't true. And I felt dead on the inside. And I'll ask you today, are you working yourself to death, filling your day with activities, work, sports, whatever it may be, to keep from stopping long enough to to assess your heart and go, man, am I just putting up a facade? Do I just have a reputation for being alive? And I'm dead on the inside. or Do I really believe what I say I believe? I had a... Dear friend of mine, when we lived in Tuscaloosa, for those of you who don't know our story, my wife and I spent 10 years in Tuscaloosa. We moved for about two years back to Thomasville, Alabama, and now we are here in Daphne Fairhope. Uh, But for the 10 years we spent in Tuscaloosa, we went to church there. We were highly involved. A good friend of mine's name was Will, and I called Will this week to ask if I could share his story. Uh, And, of course, he said, yeah, I'd love for you to. And so Will was one of my buddies. He was a firefighter. He he, He was the son of the pastor at our church. Man, Will was involved in about everything you could be involved in. He was always there. He was dependable. Uh, Even to the point to where shortly before we left, Will was elected a deacon. And so Will was put on the list. And, of course, when you see Will's name on there, you go, man, well, he's always here. He's volunteering, right? We look at the outside. We go, he is definitely a believer. He's a strong guy, leads his family. He's the son of a pastor. He'll make a great deacon. And so we checked his name. Will was elected a deacon. And so he went through the ordination process, and he went through the ordination process, and he answered all the questions correctly. Right? The deacons of the church prayed over him, and they ordained him. And when I was talking to Will, he jokingly said, He can laugh about it now. It wasn't funny then. But he said, Man, when those deacons were praying over me, I knew that I had to be in some way, somehow. I wasn't sure, but I knew this had to be the unpardonable sin because I knew in my heart I was dead. I wasn't a believer but I went through with it anyway. I had the outward activity that said I was, but my internal life was dead, and Will went through with it. He was a deacon. And shortly thereafter, to everybody's amazement and celebration in the church, Will came forward and said, I need to give my life to Christ. So not only did Will become a deacon, he played the role out all the way as far as he could play it. And then Will, as a deacon of the church, finally realized, man, I've got to quit playing games with my life. I've got to quit living the way I'm living with the facade of being a believer, with the reputation of being alive. And Will gave his life to the Lord and was baptized, and we all celebrated as a church. And I'll just say to you today, if you're in that situation where you go, man, I just don't know how long I can keep doing this. Everybody thinks I'm a believer. That I encourage you, man, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Step out like my buddy Will did, and we'll all celebrate with you. See, Will's outward activity didn't signify internal life. And the outward activity of the church at Sardis didn't mean internal life of the church to the point to where Christ said, you are dead. See, Sardis was a church on the verge of death. It says this in, verse two, chapter, in chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, but you are dead at the end of verse 1. Then it says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it. And repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. See, many theologians say the term blanket at the church of Sardis, or the term not blanket, the term dead is a blanket statement at the church of Sardis. It, Christ was looking at the church and he said, Overall, this church is dead. They've got a reputation for being alive, but the church is dead. But as we look at this in the way Christ phrases or words as phrases, is that there were still a minority of people there that were alive. Some commentaries say that if you weren't dead in the church at you were you were dying. You were just barely hanging on. This is hinted at in the fact that the church, his works were not complete because they were still trying to do some things, the believers that were there, but they were not complete. But Christ tells those believers that are still there at the church of Sardis and those who aren't believers that he's talking to, when they hear this letter, he gives them five commands. He gives them five commands. He says this He says, Wake up, be alert. Strengthen what remains. Remember what you <coughs> excuse me, remember what you'd seen and heard, keep it, and repent. See, Christ calls the church to wake up, be alert. And I believe that today we can take these as a group of believers and we can go, man, we can apply these to ourselves, right? We can apply these to ourselves that Christ wasn't just talking to the church at Sardis to wake up, but he's talking to the church as a whole. He's talking to the capital C church, the global church, to wake up, to be alert, to be on guard. See, this would have meant something to the church at Sardis because I hinted earlier that they'd only been conquered twice, and those were both flukes. The first time they were conquered is because one of the lookouts went to sleep. And while he was asleep, his helmet fell off, and the opposing army was out, Around the wall, we talked about, they were out there watching, and they saw his helmet fall off. And they noticed that he didn't move when his helmet fell, the lookout. So one of the guys, the braver guys in the group, the opposing army, went up, picked up the helmet, but when he walked to the wall, he found a door where you could actually enter the wall. So he takes the helmet back to his, uh, the commander of the army, he shows him. and he says, well, now we know what we need to do. They sent their secret forces of the day through that door and attacked the city from the inside out and conquered the city of Sardis. And so when Christ calls the church at Sardis to wake up anybody that knew any history, this would have meant something to them. And we as a church need to wake up and prepare ourselves. Wake up and be alert for what's going on around us. And then Christ calls us to strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. This is a Greek word that has a sense of urgency. It's a Greek word that means, hey, strengthen it now don't wait to get everything right don't wait till you have everything figured out strengthen what remains strengthen what you have it's because a lot of times as believers we like to go well I don't have what they've got or my church doesn't have access to all that stuff or if I only had that Christ here is going hey strengthen what remains and we all as believers have th- two things at the core of who we are and it's all we need to go to battle for the cross it's the gospel And the Holy Spirit, most often these are so often neglected for system programs and events where we go, man, well, we can do system programs and events, and we run all these things out, and they work well, they work great. But then we forget that at the core of who we are, we have the gospel and the Holy Spirit to lead us. And when Christ calls us to strengthen what remains, He says, don't worry about what you don't have. Don't sit around and waste time looking at what you don't have access to, but strengthen what you have. And all of us as believers have the Holy Spirit and the gospel to go to battle with, to share with people, to lead us. Many times we like to replace the leading of the Holy Spirit with our systems, programs, and events, when what we should do is be led by the Holy Spirit and let the system, programs, and events just back up what we're already doing, to where we're already being led by the Holy Spirit, to where the gospel already taken us as a church, See, A.W. Tozer says this. He wrote this back in the 1960s. I was reading a book a while back, and he said that a lot of times what we like to do as a church, a lot of times what we like to do as a family, when we make big decisions, a lot of times what we like to do when we're uh, making decisions at a business is we like to start the business meeting with a, with a quick prayer. So we, we get everybody around, we say, hey, let's pray, and we pray that God will lead us. We pray for the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then as soon as we say amen, we like to ask the Holy Spirit to leave, and then we just start making decisions on what we think is right. See, we as a church have to wake up. We have to strengthen what we have at the core of who we are, which is the gospel and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let everything else follow behind that. And then Christ says, remember what you've seen and heard. Remember what you've seen and heard. He says, remember all you've seen God do. Remember the way God's worked in your life. Remember the way that you were changed when you became a believer, the new life that you had and that. Remember those things. See, (coughs) excuse me. I think one of the big things that we miss in our culture today is how to remember what God's done in our life. I'm terrible at journaling. I've tried to create the discipline of journaling in my life, but for some reason it just seems tedious to write a page in the morning, right? It's like, man, I feel like I've already written six pages and it's been five minutes. Man, but I love to journal because the times in my life that I have journaled and fast forward two years, I can go back and pick that journal up and look through it and I can go, man, I can remember how God answered the prayers on my heart, how God moved in my life. I think we as a church and we as a people need to do a better job of setting up ways to remember in our lives, if you look at the Old Testament when something would happen, when God would move or provide for His people, they'd often set up an altar or they'd set up you know, a pillar and he'd say, set that up here, and when your children ask, remind them what happened. Joshua 4, 4 and 7, they set up an altar, and He says, set stones, build a memorial. Why? To tell your children when they ask what happened here. See, Christ calls us to wake up. Then He says, strengthen what you have, strengthen what remains, Then he says, not only that, but remember all you've seen and heard. And then he says this, keep it, hold fast. Keep it. He says, don't just strengthen yourself and then walk away and go, well, I'm good for life now. Anytime you're weight training or practicing anything, as soon as you stop, you lose it. You're on a diet, you lose all your weight, you get back on it, or you fall off your diet, you lose, you gain all your weight back. Your weight training, right, you get stronger, you get bigger, you get faster, you stop lifting weights, you go right back to where you were before. The same principle is true when you're walking with God. Right, when we strengthen ourselves, we've got to continue to do that. We've got to continue to remember. And then we've got to keep it. We've got to hold fast to it. And then finally, he says, repent. Repent. See, this doesn't mean just on an individual basis. It does mean that. That's what As believers, we should repent daily, right? It should be a process in our life where daily we wake up and go to bed and we go, God, forgive me for the things that I've done against your righteousness, against your holiness, against the holy and just God. Forgive me for the things that I've done. But this also means corporate repentance where we pray for each other, where I go, God, be with my family. Forgive my family for what we've done. Forgive my church leaders. Forgive my church for where we've missed the point. God, draw us back to you corporate prayer of repentance where we go, God, we need You. We need You. To where we don't forget the mission and we don't forget why we're doing this and we don't fall asleep at the wheel and forget what's happening. See, so, you know, I always like to remind people what repentance is, and it's simply this, to turn away from sin and turn toward Christ. It's not I'm sorry and we move on to the next thing, but it's a deep remorse or sorrow over the things we've done or believed or said or thought. A deep remorse or sorrow. So Christ says, wake up, be alert, strengthen what remains, remember what you've seen and heard, keep it and repent. Then He says this. He says, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they will walk with Me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot His name out of the book of life. I will confess His name before my Father and before His angels. See, even in Sardis, there was still a heartbeat like we talked about before. Even in Sardis, there was still a faint heartbeat, and Christ gives us hope. Christ always gives us hope, even in bad situations. Even in Sardis, the church that Christ considers dead, there was still hope. And that hope is this, that Christ promises Himself to the true believer who perseveres. So as we walk through things in life, as we walk through situations in life, we always have the hope in Christ. When the economy tanks and we have no hope, we've always got hope in Christ. When the healthcare system can't take care of us, when there's things going on outside of our control and our Tower of Babel collapsing around us, the things that we go to and run to for comfort collapse around us true believers always have a hope embedded in who christ is and what he's done for us and then christ says this i will confess his name before my father and before his angels see this is not a suggestion that believers can have their name erased from the book of life. Many people go, well, he says he he won't erase it. That must mean he will erase it if something happens. That's not the case. This is not a suggestion that believers can have their name erased from the book of life, but a promise that the name of every true believer will remain in it. It's not a suggestion that your name can be erased, but it's a promise that every true believer who perseveres that you're Name will never be erased from the book of life. See Ephesians 5:14 says this awake O sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Again, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. See, maybe you're here this tonight listening, maybe you're tuning in online. And you know your heart's dead. When I describe the story of Will, my buddy who had faked it his whole life, who had got to a point where he was even a deacon with the facade on the outside of the reputation of life, but on the inside he was dead. If that's you tonight and you go, man, I'm just like your buddy Will. I'm just like him. I was that way too, and I was just like that, caught up in something and go, man, I can't let my pride get in the way. And to you I say, man, Christ gives you hope. Christ says, wake up. If you find your heart dead and you find an awakening tonight and you go, man, I want that. Man, Christ gives us hope. Man, trust in Christ. Let us know. We'd love to know how we can help you. We'd love to walk that path with you. See, adding more to your schedule and looking for the next job and the next raise and waiting for things to get back to normal aren't going to satisfy that place in your heart. You go, man, I'm... I'm dead, and when all this stuff gets back to normal and when things settle down, we'll still be asking ourselves, is this all there is? Is this what I'm living for? We'd love to have a conversation with you today if you go, man, I want something more. I want hope I can depend on regardless of my current circumstances, regardless of the current crisis. I want a hope I can cling to. Or maybe you're that person today that's just barely hanging on. You're like that remnant at the church of Sardis. They're still on life support. You know you're alive, but just barely. Maybe you're the only believer at home, and, man, you go home and it's tough, and you go, man, I'm just barely hanging on. Or maybe you're the only believer at work, same situation where people make comments and they say things about your faith, and you go, I don't know how much longer I can do this. To you, I say, man, surround yourself with people who can strengthen you, who can help you remember the way God's moved in your life who can remind you to hold fast to what you believe Now get those people around you ask whoever's in your life that's a believer go how have you seen god work in me remind me help me remember what god's done in my life that i may be strengthened that i may remember what he's done and then for those who say man i got i'm on top of the world right now i got it i got this, I got it going on. Like I, I'm energized to share the gospel. I'm energized to do the things of Christ. I'm not doubting where I stand in my relationship. To you tonight, I say, find those people around you who aren't there. Find those people around you who are struggling. Find those people around you who are just barely hanging on. And tell them, hey, this is how I've seen God work in your life. These are the things I've seen God do. Man, encourage them and strengthen them. Man, call them and cheer them up. Call them and say, man, this is what God's done in my life and I've seen God do in your life. Because there comes a point in everybody's life, right? We've all been on the ups and downs. A lot of times as believers what we want to do is we want to get to the top of the mountain and we just want to camp out there and we want to look around and go, man, I got this thing figured out. I wish everybody was on my level. But one day we'll slide off the other side and we'll be the one that needs the help. We'll be the one that needs somebody to come alongside of us and go, man, I remember what God did in your life. We'll need somebody to come beside us and strengthen us and go, man, do you you see all these things that God has done? Find somebody around you. Encourage them. Strengthen them. Remind them what God's done. There comes a day when we'll all need help and those that are struggling now can help those that are on top later. Again, Ephesians 4.14 says this, 5.14, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I pray, God, that just through your word, we know that your word never comes back void, but we pray that you awaken people's hearts, that people are encouraged, that people remember what God's done for them, Lord, that those who are feeling strong and feel like they can fight anything right now, that they will turn and find somebody to encourage and remind them what you've done. Lord, we thank you for the hope that you give us, that it doesn't depend on the things of this world, but we can always look to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.